0: 20% of the workforce. I'm not talking about consultants and outside counsel and uh, uh, offshore, uh, I'm sorry, outsourced uh, uh, workforce. The employees, 10 to 20% have risk or compliance in their title.
1: Welcome to UpTech Report. This is our Applied Tech series. UpTech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Kayvon Alikhani, who's based in California. He's the CEO and co-founder at Compliance.ai. Welcome. Good to have you on, Kayvon. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Now, Appliance.ai is a regulatory compliance solution and software. So for those out there in firms, within banking, financial services, or the fi- the insurance industry, this might be an interesting platform you're gonna to wanna to check out. Now on your website, you say, we speed compliance so you can speed your business. Help me understand, Okay, what was the problem you initially saw with the industry and with compliance that you set out to solve?
0: You know, um, the volume and complexity of regulatory changes that are being handed to regulated companies, specifically in the banking, financial service, and insurance industry is so high, mm-hmm. both from the perspective of... Um, the number of changes, the <laughs> number of pages within these changes, and then the complexity—it's uh, not decreasing;
1: uh, it's only increasing.
0: It's all increasing three, four hundred percent over the past uh, seven, eight years, and it's not showing any uh, sign of slowdown. And meanwhile, organizations are still using outmoded um, methods that they would have would have been suitable for a significantly lower volume or significantly simpler uh, regulatory landscape. So we provide uh, essentially a way to transition or transform the way you deal with regulatory changes so that you can be much more effective and efficient in that process. Compliance has become the costliest department along with risk. Risk and compliance combined are the number one spend within many regulated sectors in the United States. And that is a sign of the methodology that's being used to solve it, which is to throw bodies at it, use manual approaches or use significantly expensive, error-prone, time-consuming methods to solve uh, compliance and risk issues. And we really think that the availability of digital uh, regulatory content, the availability of cheap uh, CPU, the maturity of uh, automated ML-driven modeling um, allows for companies to now do things a lot faster, more effectively, and at a much more cost-effective manner
1: basically so use technology sure. smarter in a better way than just throw more people at it. If I understand like that the the platform, you take in the reports from a lot of different regulatory agencies, and then the user can go in and customize the area that that covers what what location or what they're interested in, then they can customize the reports. Am I getting the kind of the, some of the nuts there,
0: Greg? Think about a a very large document. Imagine, uh, don't imagine a two paragraph uh, uh, news item about the latest, uh, you know, fiasco at French Open. Imagine a hundred page substantial document, which has everything in terms of obligations, references to other rules and regulations, timelines, Uh, in it so now you're facing with not being able to just browse over you have to read it you have to assess whether this document is relevant to you to your role in the organization what business or operational topics does it map to what are your obligations as part of this what are the timelines and deadlines that you need to pay attention to and what has to happen uh, inside your organization imagine having to do that against three to four hundred documents per week and imagine that each of those documents on average being 20, 30, 40 pages and all legal, legally work. That's the uh, framework that we live in. And so our perspective is, first and foremost, how many of those 3,400 400 are relevant to you? Reduce the size of that funnel by using classification, uh, using your company's business profile as a way to... Uh, focus on changes that are relevant to you in your role, uh, whether you're a compliance officer, a risk officer, in charge of audit, general counsel, in charge of BSAML, privacy, cybersecurity, depending on topic, depending on concept and operational role, get access to that very reduced collection of content. And then give you all the rich metadata that tells you, these are the key deadlines, these are the concepts, these are the topics, these are the cross-referenced rules and regulations, these are your obligations. Uh, and from there, you'll be able to make decisions significantly faster and be able to build an inventory of decisions you've made over time. And then of course, subsequent to that, be able to then interact with those documents, annotate them, assign tasks, take action, and find the report on everything that you've done before, during and after that rulemaking process. That is really the ultimate goal uh, of a solution that would be called regulatory change management. And that's
1: exactly what we do. Got it. So the, the it, it, I don't know if this is a good uh, analogy to see. When I think of like in the consumer world, often we have like um, uh and RSS feeds or, or Feedly or tool on a thing. And we want to customize what news, what information am I getting in? And consumers have that for a while, but in the business side, it's just you're inundated. It sounds like with all these updates when it comes to compliance and reports that are coming out, but what you're trying to focus on is, all right, let me actually skim that down to exactly what you need, what you need to be paying attention to. And then you know what to take action on.
0: Yeah. I imagine that that RSS feed constituted of thousands of changes <laughs> that you have to then now. Uh, decipher. Going through all of them in detail is not scalable, and that's what's led to the uh, close to $400 billion in fines, enforcement actions that have been issued against just financial service organizations in the past eight years alone. Uh, And then you have from the other side the significant increase in operational costs, both uh, top-line and bottom-line impact, and not to mention the reputational impact that it has for companies that uh, fail audit or find them to find their name in the news or are at a significant competitive disadvantage because they're moving much slower than their competitors who have embraced a transformative approach to change
1: management. Of course, the the common concern that comes along with technology and AI is taking jobs away. Uh, You just mentioned, we'll throw more people at it. So now you don't need to throw as many people at it. So where is the the balance here? The
0: balance is actually that companies are not properly sized to begin with uh, because it's so costly to properly sized if you were to take a full manual approach, they really need 20 people and they have four. They really need 12 people, but they have six. So what ends up happening is technology coming and saying, this is now a companion, this is a augment, this is an extension of your existing team. Uh, it's essentially not one of necessarily saying, uh, start laying people off. It's saying you were understaffed to begin with. And now instead of begging and borrowing uh, additional budgets to hire another uh, 15 people, you have technology automation to the rescue as a uh, way to reduce your overall cost and be ready for scale. And that's been seen, we're not the only uh, business segment that's doing this. We've seen that repeatedly within CRM, within business applications, with the tool you and I are using right now, Zoom, solutions that scale very rapidly, don't require a huge amount of handholding, don't require a huge amount of effort in installation, implementation, uh, or upkeep. SAS, basically, and from the other side, ones that reduce the uh, amount of work that humans have to do by taking recurring mundane tasks off their back so they can focus on more analytical activities. So we think that is actually a sigh of relief in the uh, what we're seeing, very specifically talking to chief compliance officers, risk officers, general counsel. We have a very, um, I would say, impressive and humbling advisory group. that. Uh, provides us that type of feedback. And these are CCOs, CROs, GCs, auditors, current and former regulators. Uh, and they tell you, look for any and all opportunities for automation, look for any and all opportunities to reduce uh, that complexity. And even the regulators are very much welcoming of,
1: that, of this approach. This um, concept of, of a compliance officer now trusting in a technology to take the place of the, the scores of people that required before what do you say to then someone saying, how do I know that what you're showing me is everything? How, how can I trust the technology? How have you guys then solved that?
0: Yeah. And how were you trusting it before? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's basically what are we comparing it to? Uh, the status quo of having humans uh, who make mistakes and um, are ne- not necessarily your employees. And many times they're outside counsel. And many times they're distracted with a whole bunch of other activity versus a dedicated set of uh, resources that are systematic. And yes, systems do make mistakes and they do falter. And we are very transparent about that. In fact, um, we think that that's an essential part of any AI-based system to provide full transparency on how decisions are being made, what approach is being used in modeling, if there are um, you know any decisions that are being surfaced, what's the confidence in those decisions. And using that approach, clients can now have visibility. That's A. And B, it is not a machine versus human. Um, In our case, it's very much what we call expert in the loop, a a nuanced approach to supervised learning that allows us to use experts, not humans, experts, as those who provide not only feedback in the build-out of the models, in the training of the models, but also in assuring the quality of the results that are surfaced by our models. We have 100% manual quality assurance coverage of machine-based. So now you're not getting just machine or human, you're getting best of both worlds, a uh, marriage between human and robot, if you will, um, that hopefully that's not going <laughs> to uh, uh, create any uh, misunderstandings. It's really providing that healthy collaboration that then says you're taking advantage of automation, things are happening at internet scale, uh, and yet there are experts that are monitoring and are impacting and are influencing the decisions that are being made that are very specifically recruited for that purpose. So so that's how you do that. At the end of the day, you cannot point to a machine and say, the machine did it, right? You have to have a accountability of humans uh, by humans. And and I would say that the difference is still gonna be, yes, the machine made some errors, but what are we comparing to (laughs) the before and after? And uh, that's been time and time again, the case where they said, you know, um, earlier I thought I was missing two or three documents with compliance that I found out missing hundreds of changes or that I wasn't effectively looking at these changes. Yes. Maybe in 1%, 2% of cases, uh, or in one document over a six month period, or I don't know, five documents over a year. But even in those cases, compliance study, I came back and made an adjustment and, um, updated that. So it's not ever going to be 100% perfect. That's, uh, a uh, kind of a <laughs> nice aspirational goal but it is significantly close to being perfect in terms of um, collecting assessing on a scalable basis there's just no comparisons apples and bicycles for me i mean imagine you throw two or three people to look at a thousand page rule book to re- to extract the inventory of obligations from that rule book well how long is that effort going to take and when they're done what are you gonna do with that information the next time the rule comes up? You have to start all over again, right? But imagine that that's done by a system, extracting those, looking at your feedback about those obligations and the next time, taking advantage of that to do a better job. One is taking two and a half months, highly expensive lawyers. We both know they're not cheap. Uh, one, the other one is taking minutes and providing you an inventory that's actually learning and working for you in the future. So the differences are time, scale, accuracy, and of course, uh, ultimately, the efficiency for growth uh, that, that
1: it provides for the organizations. Where I'm fascinated with the, the role of technology, it truly is allows us to to do much, so much, so much more in less time and effort if it's properly trained and managed by a person. It's not an autonomous like just go in and it does it all. But it's that combination of slowly. I, I appreciate the term "expert in the loop" combined with the technology. Now, this is uh, four years. Uh, that you guys have been around since 2017 that it it started. I'm curious from your perspective from the beginning, what's the adoption been like? Like are people resonating or or, or what are some of the barriers that you've seen to the adoption technology when it comes to compliance?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the history (laughs) part of it is quite fascinating that we started with the premise of all we have to do is provide regulatory intelligence. Companies already have uh, risk and compliance uh, solutions. If we just feed this intelligence to them, They're going to be good to go. And we started with that uh, approach. And very quickly, after a series of conversations, listening very carefully to the feedback from the compliance community, we found that intelligence enough is uh, not enough. And intelligence alone is not enough. Why? Because all you've done is now dumped literally a mountain of information at them without providing them with the ability to take action on it. And I think in eighteen, we started seeing more and more of uh, the um, use of the term regulatory change management as opposed to regulatory intelligence or regulatory trend analysis or insights. Not, not, not in opposition with each other, but kind of like bringing them together into regulatory change management. Go back 10 years, this was not even a term. There was not such a process in these organizations that would deal with it. So this is something new that started forming. 16, 17, 18 uh, started becoming more and more of a curiosity. And what is this? What is reg tech? Regtech tech as in technologies that helped you with monitoring, tracking, and reacting, and reporting on regulatory changes by taking advantage of automation and SaaS and ML. We are very much the poster child for that. But then in 2019, we started seeing more and more actual forward-looking CCOs, CROs, GCs that would put requests for information, requests for proposals. And in 2020, um, in spite of, or maybe because of COVID, you started seeing a much more specific focus on regulatory change management, automation, transforming it into a modernized um, form, if you will, uh, within the organizations uh, to the point that we were recipient of over, I want to say 30 uh, RFPs from mid to large size organizations just in the US alone with comprehensive plans of transforming regulatory change management. I think it went from what the heck is this to um, let's try it out to now we're going to formally transform our change management solution. I think I've seen that so much right now. It takes less than five minutes to explain and get a head nod from heads of compliance risk or audit or um, general counsel at organizations about the challenge they're facing and the fact that they need to modernize the
1: change management practice. So if I heard correctly, you'd say that the pandemic has been an accelerant to the compliance uh, industry to saying, yes, we, we needed to use technology more.
0: That's right. Think about uh, having to do things from anywhere, using just a browser, not having to rely on going to the office or relying on necessarily four walls of firewalls and IT uh, involvement and not having to uh, um, rely on a large workforce, having to be able to button down and um, do things more with less, uh, enforcing and, and embracing business continuity and resiliency. All of that is very much in line with using um, SaaS browser-based, nothing to install, nothing to maintain or update or upgrade ever, and the ability to rely on a highly scalable solution. Um, So that was one side of it. And PPP-related regulations and privacy-related regulations and matters that have to do with um, cybersecurity. And of course, the incoming of a new administration that undid a lot of the deregulation that happened during the prior administration have been catalysts for a, I would say very significant
1: uptick in
0: organizations taking a look at how they deal with regulatory
1: change. On, on that uh, topic of the way regulatory has changing and some of the things you just mentioned, PVP, the new administration and, and, the, and the act, what are you seeing some of the main trends that someone should be paying attention and, and aware of with all this happening?
0: yeah um first and foremost privacy continues to be a uh, highly checkered set of regulations and rules we know uh we californians voted into law the california california consumer protection act and the rights act in november of last year again enforcement actions to ensue in terms of uh, uh, how organizations manage uh, store and share uh, consumer information and what does consumer privacy mean we see states like new york virginia and others um, standing their own privacy regulation there's efforts underway at the federal level uh, to try to uh, come up with comprehensive uh consumer privacy and that's very much in line with what happened uh, uh i want to say four or five years ago in europe with gdpr so that's one um set of rules and regulations that are very much impactful of the organizations the contrast between gdpr ccpa virginia new york and the Illinois uh, biometric regulations that relate to privacy or the upcoming, uh, uh, I would say, cross-jurisdiction differences between uh, those and the upcoming federal level level regulations. Of course, there's huge amount of um, deregulatory activity that President Biden took in um, the first 60 days uh, in the office issuing a collection of over 20 enforcement actions, executive orders, sorry, Um, intended to undo the prior administration's policies. And so that then puts pressure um, on organizations to take a look at that and see how that impacts their business. Uh, A series of executive orders, um, interestingly, one of them, um, a a reaffirmation, I would say, of an executive order that we saw many years ago during the Clinton era uh, of regulatory planning and review uh, and a recommendation for essentially modernizing uh, regulatory reviews modernizations been the focus of many of president biden's early actions uh, meaning the businesses that haven't already embraced digital transformation should consider embracing digital transformation very very soon and you, you see that embedded in many of the uh, policies and procedures that are putting put it out uh, environment um social and um um esg based regulations um that are essentially coming out uh, we're seeing more and more focus on esg based regulation um corporate governance essentially environmental social and uh, governance i forget the <laughs> g for a second um which are putting a lot of emphasis on paying attention to climate climate change, not as climate change, but as risk. What is the risk of climate change to organizations, um, specifically banks as it relates to real estate or um, in light of the uh, growing Me Too movement in terms of social impacts of organizations taking a much closer look at, know who do they take money from? Who do they partner with? Who do they business with has now impacted? Uh, the outcome, and we're looking to a set of ESG-based regulations actually to drive some environmental uh, rules and regulations in um, in, the, in the current year and into years to come. And um, there's at least 10 more, but i named name one more for you, which is uh, top of mind for many users, is cryptocurrency and ICO uh, blockchain-related rules and regulations. You see a, a huge amount of activity by the OCC and other agencies trying to put proper uh, rules and regulations in place to uh, hopefully put an end to the wild, wild west that is um, uh, you know, crypto and ICO and give companies a framework that they can work within uh, mm-hmm. to deal with ICO and cryptocurrency. So those are some of the trends to look for. And like I said, there's at least five or six more uh, that we can talk about later yeah. as
1: well. David, I'm curious, have you personally like been involved with compliance for a while like how did you get involved or were you more come from the technology side and you saw the challenge and you're like I can solve this challenge over here with technology
0: very much a technologist um, looked at it from the perspective of organizations that are highly regulated um, came at it from cybersecurity security primarily uh, formerly I was working at RSA uh, one of the leaders uh, both in terms of cyber security but also RSA publishes in, um, a, a solution called Archer, which is the leading provider of governance, risk, and compliance solutions for the enterprise, very much including banks, financial service, and insurance companies. Um, we saw the uptick in terms of rules, regulations. We saw the huge amount of consultative and manual uh, labor-driven uh, approaches that were taken to assess that. You have uh, a problem, um, you know, as a technologist, you're always trying to uh, come up with solutions for that. Because we're not subject matter experts, we ended up then building a uh, solid foundation of advisors uh, coming from the field, seeking their advice. Hey, is this as big a problem as we think it is? Yes. You know, um, what, would this approach work? Yes. And then basically being very, very much uh, collaborative in that effort and then bringing in the CCOs, CRs and GCs into that discussion. In that early on uh, formation. But it was very much looking at the, I mean, you read the news and look at the uh, stats in terms of where are companies spending their money Uh, and compliance and risk being on the top of the list. um, You know, many highly regulated organizations, you find 10, 12, 15, 20 percent of the workforce. I'm not talking about consultants and outside counsel and uh, uh, offshore, uh, I'm sorry, outsourced uh, uh, workforce. The employees Ten to twenty percent have risk or compliance in their title, wow. and uh, that that represents that that tells you uh, where, where that you, cost is coming from.
1: Yeah, where do you see in the future that percentage will go down to?
0: Um, yeah, I, I would I would probably say that instead of looking at that as a cost center, you would start looking at that as a streamlined part of the company's growth development lifecycle, as being it's part and partial to. You're trying to expand into a jurisdiction, now you have a way to have compliance uh, work with you as part of that process, not as a stopgap, not as a a friction, not as something that stops things, but actually something that informs you very rapidly, very dynamically, and as part of that, you're trying to launch a new solution, you're trying to acquire another business, you're launching your product into another country, Um, you're taking on clients that you hadn't taken before, all of that is growth. And all of that should not be tampered and should not be uh, basically handcuffed with compliance. Instead, compliance should be part of that process. This is really a transformation. It's not about what percentage uh, necessarily, and obviously that percentage we think should be at least kept steady, if not reduced. But it's ultimately saying, let's look at compliance not as uh, something in the corner as an afterthought, uh it's the same thing we talked about 10 years ago about security right security driven programming security driven businesses businesses that are looking at security as part and partial of what they do not as an afterthought and now um you see more and more of that in various uh business applications and i think regulatory change lends itself very nicely to being that next in line um let's call it streamlined into
1: being part of that overall business process I'm, I'm intrigued with this this vision you see of compliance that is not a, a burden of, of the cost, but actually uh, uh, actually helping you grow, helping you go into to new to new areas. I mean this, uh, and I appreciate you, you were in this industry already, seeing uh, the, with uh, enterprises of 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 insurance and finance, and you saw the challenge they had, and you're like, with your technology background, like I can I can solve this, I can fix this. I I imagine there's uh it, it's kind of a growth as you peel back the onion and realize the multiple layers. I'm curious over the last four or five years, if you go back five years ago and tell yourself one thing, um, when you were beginning this journey, uh, what would you say to yourself?
0: Listen to users um, much more um, proactively, essentially the value of having a conversation with the stakeholders. Um, So we have a pretty good understanding of the technological capabilities available to us You know computation um, modeling the ability to digest and process large volumes of documents that's the tech side of it. Uh, And then on the user side, what is really problematic within their organization, how can you really impact their uh, day to day life in a very positive way, in fact, I would tell you, uh, we did a blog series at the end of 2018 with a CCO as the ghostwriter. We call it a day in the life of the compliance professional. And it was from waking up and drinking coffee all the way to the end of the business days. What are you doing and how can we impact that positively and reduce the stress, reduce the um, anxiety, reduce the uh, uncertainty, reduce the ability, provide you with tools to help mitigate the risk associated with regulatory change? I would say that more of that. Uh, is really the way to go. Uh, with that, you're much more informed and you, you make
1: much better decisions as a result of it. it, it it's a kind of a ro- amazing transformation of growth. realize dig further to the, the consumer or the user of and it. say like, okay what exactly do you need? how is it used And that's where the real use comes to, to shine. I'm curious what can you share going forward? like what's what's the roadmap what, what's the vision, anything coming up that you're excited about and can share?
0: We very much started as an organization uh, focused on US based uh, um, banks and financial service insurance companies. We're now seeing a global demand. Uh, we're seeing multinational uh, requests for companies that are multinationals headquartered elsewhere, operational in the US, or vice versa. Uh, and so we are very much, uh, we started with G20 and we're uh, coverage, and we're now looking at expansion beyond that. And additionally, um, you know, it's not really BFSI, that's uh, Bank Financial Service and Insurance that are impacted by regulatory change. We know healthcare, um, energy environment, and uh, many other highly regulated sectors are very much, um, can be very much uh, take advantage, can, t- can take advantage of this type of an approach and this type of transformation. And of course, we think that a much more proactive set of collaboration with the regulators themselves, these are agencies like Uh, the Fed, like CFPB, OCC, uh, FCA, in the United Kingdom, and many other um, proactive, and I would say forward-looking agencies that are tech-friendly, that type of collaboration is going to highly benefit um, not only our users, their constituents, of course. Um, And last but not least, the formation of more and more alliances. Um, We're working and talking to AIR, as an example, Alliance for Um, regulators and regulation, innovative regulation, um, and many similar innovation uh, alliances very much welcome that type of collaboration between regulators and regulated companies to come together, sit around the table and come to a consensus on what would
1: work, uh, make their life easier. I uh, like the the vision and and the future of of regulatory compliance or across the globe, it's like being able to expand no matter where you are, being able to know it, have this information as as a chief compliance officer. You don't have to have a whole army of people now scouraging and looking through all these reports. Use technology and be able to make your life simpler. And as a passion, one who's passionate about technology, I'm curious of just even outside, maybe specifically what you guys are building, uh, what do you see as the future of tech? Any tech predictions the next five, 10 years, what we could uh, (laughs) imagine coming down the road?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be very much an enabling technology enabler technology has always been that way. Uh, We've seen that time and time again as it related to various various business applications, and this is not going to be an exception to that. I think you're going to see more and more of a legal tech and rec tech where uh, there's more and more collaboration between the legal counsel compliance community and the tech community to. uh, uh, And you're going to see more of a cross pollination around that Uh, more and more. Uh, I would say business specific um, type um, solutions where they're very much tuned in to the requirements of that business. I think that there's gonna be that, that type of alliance that we talked about is gonna lead to cohort based uh, compliance decisions. So for example, uh, similar organizations that operate in similar uh, jurisdictions and offer very similar products will start now taking advantage of compliance solutions that actually take advantage of their anonymized and tokenized decisions and so in that realm instead of building siloed compliance practices you start benefiting from uh, a a cohort-based approach and we think that's going to be highly consequential uh, for businesses in terms of um, compliance no longer being a um, siloed competitive one-off uh, thing to being one of saying, let's just make this just like cybersecurity, where we reached an agreement that sharing anonymized tokenized data around brief breaches is beneficial to all organizations. We think compliance very much falls into the same mold.
1: Thank you, uh, Kevin, for for sharing this insight and the track and and the direction that you guys are headed. For those that want to learn more, uh, you can go over to compliance.ai and be able to get a a demo and be able to, to dig into it more. But thank you so much, Kevin, for your time.
0: Thank you so much. Very nice talking to you, Alex. Appreciate it.
1: And we'll see you all on the next episode of UpTech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know.